literally the first thing I ever said to her was, hey, you want to start a band? Like that was the first thing. So that's always been a huge part of our friendship. So once she moved closer and we're hanging out, drinking, and it just makes sense to make music also. Has there always just been sort of an understanding that at some point the two of you are always going to get back together and make music again? I mean, I think we always kind of know that's going to happen, but we don't ever put like a time frame on it. You know, for instance, this is our first record in 10 years and (laughs) we, we talk about it when it makes sense to do it. So yeah. And and, and me moving to California was a huge part of that because it's, you know, I think Azure is really predicated like upon our our friendship and our closeness. And so obviously, you know, we're going to feel more in tune with each other and be spending a lot more time together if we're in the same state, which we haven't been in. A really long time. I think it happens just organically. Do you think that the 10 year gap in between records has been a net positive when it comes to making music again? Or were you a little bit rusty? Well, we had been making music, you know, with other sure. people and with our, so it, I don't think, I would think, I don't know, I would even go so boldly as to say like the opposite of that. Like I feel like we've, are we're getting stronger like at certain aspects of songwriting and I don't know so I feel like it was kind of fun to come it was more exciting because it has been 10 years so I mean there was like that anticipation and that excitement which made it feel almost new again but yet I feel like we're kind of on top of our our game when it comes to I mean we've been working and practicing at songwriting and recording and singing for a very long time I think there's something when you do something for so long, even a small, well, like I said, like Maria said that we've been, we've both been playing plenty of music the last 10 years, just not together, but, but there's something when you do something for so long that the, sometimes a break makes it, makes you better at it, not worse. You know, you know, it's like riding a bike. You're just going to get back up on it. And because you have that break, you're just, I feel like I was more inspired. I imagine that when you are playing with other people in different configurations and, you know, to some degree, different styles that you're perhaps able to scratch some of the itches that you don't feel like maybe you necessarily were able to do as a duo. Yeah, like it's just fun. I mean, Azure is very specific in how it sounds and we keep we keep that like the parameters, which I think is cool. So it's fun when we do step outside of it. Yeah, it's like sometimes we want to rock out or we want to do, you know, like we have other projects that are very different that wouldn't fit within the parameters of Azure. You alluded to some sort of stylistic parameters, or at least I, I assume that it's kind of you know, the band having been doing this for 20 years, that there are certain expectations on the part of your fan base as far as what they ballpark expect to get with one of your records. For the most part, that was probably a, an organic decision. Is there a conscious effort to uh, maintain those parameters? Yeah, I, I think specifically for Azure, because of the, the nature of how that first record was received. Um, you know, it was so steeped in in grief and loss and and it really, you know, surprisingly to us, like really affected a lot of people in a major way. And that's kind of how, you know, we became known for that record. It was so personal to everyone and very, very specific to, I think, their their loss and this kind of certain emotional space that they were in. That I feel like it, you know, for this band more than others, it, it would be some kind of betrayal to to do an Azure rock record, you know, <laughs> like the, the that's Azure- not what they want from it, no, yeah, yeah, and um, you know, like like a rock band could do an acoustic record, but I just 
I think Azure really, as a contract with our listeners, I think it would be unfair to them to like stray too far outside of what that is. Even happy songs. Like, I feel like I save any kind of happy songs for like more solo projects. Like I just, like Azure has kind of always been about finding beauty from the pain or finding, you know, like the silver linings from the hard times or in the hard times. Azure, I mean, we probably have some happy songs, but they're just sung so sadly that it makes the happiness ironic. <laughs> I remember when Matt, Matt, one of his friends, this is a, another dear friend of ours who passed away, but one of his friends was an Azure fan. And when he met me the first time, like he told Matt afterwards, he was so surprised because I was dorky and funny and, or not funny, but just like, you know, I wasn't sad. Like, I think he was expecting some real solemn, sad person. And I was a big goofball. He's like, whoa, that's not what I expected. Well, sorry. <laughs> Is that something that can grate on you, though? I, I assume that that when grief and sadness is such a core part of the band's DNA that playing it night in and night out and being in a band's year in, year out that is very much in that headspace probably does something to your psyche. I think that's why we take breaks. I mean, because it is emotional. Like When we finally came back um, and had a reunion show a couple of years ago, playing something like when we played November, a couple of the songs, like I was really holding back. I, I was choking up in the middle of the set it like it really it brings back it was so traumatizing like what that first record and like lots of these songs were inspired by a death of of my old boyfriend yeah it really does come flooding back when we're singing these songs and so it is so emotionally charged I think that that's why we do take long I mean our breaks have been they've all been like seven year breaks 10 year breaks but this year also it was such a such an emotional time for so many people this is how we've always processed hard times is is writing songs together and so it, it really seems like exactly what we should be doing right now is taking everything that we've learned this past year and everything we've been through and putting them into songs and sharing them with other people who have been struggling as well the pandemic really hits the U.S. in earnest around March, April timeframe. I mean, I'm here in New York, so you know things things got really bad here first. What point in that process of it being clear that it is just going to be a terrible year on top of a terrible year? Does the bat signal go up, and is it clear that the two of you need to combine your powers and start to make music again? Maybe a couple months into it, into the <laughs> into the lockdown, um, we had been talking about making a record before that yeah because of the 20th reunion yeah or anniversary so it was it was in the you know it was it was somewhere in the future uh but but it really was brought to the present by yeah probably by the second month of the lockdown is um when we started to say hey i think this is gonna I think we're going to be doing this for a long time and why don't we make the record now and we can do it remotely. You know, we could figure out which, which is a totally different process than how we ever made any of our other records. You know, we were basically like, well, we could either wait an entire year if we can even do it then, you know, cause at that point, boy, we didn't know anything, you know, I think they were talking about a vaccine being five years off or something. So, you know, who knew, no, no one knew what was happening at that point, but, but we definitely knew that we didn't want to wait a year to start on it. So we went ahead and started writing it 
And uh, within a couple of months, we we had the record written. We were really surprised. You know, I think it, like I was saying that like after 10 years, things just kind of have, they just really want to come out, you know, and, it, and the songs came very quickly. And then we were like, wow, well, we have a record already. Let's now let's just figure out how we're going to do this remotely. And then Maria had the idea to um, ask her friend Brandon Walters, who is this amazing producer, and uh, he agreed to do it remotely. And yeah, we just hit the ground running at that point. Is a couple of months, is that pretty fast by your standards? I think for writing a record, it is. Generally, I feel like in the past, we would take like six months to a year, probably, right? We, we probably took six months, right? Like I'm trying to think back because... When we started, I mean, it might have been four or five months of writing, right? And just sending each other. Because we had a lot of songs. Like, we had like six left over. My, which my never. Of this last year is skewed. We, it was a little, it was more than that. And it really reminded me of the first record because... You know, we always write songs separately and we bring them to each other. But just how like, you know, with the first record, we were just constantly like, I wrote this song, I wrote this song and playing it for each other. Like it was the same process. I've got a new song, you know, I'm going to record it after I take a shower so you can hear it and then like sending it to you. And it was, yeah, I feel like it was, it was a few months. And then we really sent them to Brandon even before we were, some of the songs weren't even completely finished. Like, I feel like we just knew we had something. Yeah. Yeah. Some of them were finished at the very end lyrically yeah well mine at least Arinda's I've learned this about you more this time than ever I'm um, very spontaneous and if I like I send people like I send people rough sketches of things that I should never and Arinda is really great at mm. waiting till something is completely done to show someone and I need to learn from that because I feel like people don't always know what's in your head to know like how it's going to become eventually. But I just can't wait. If I'm excited about something, I will send it to like 10 of my closest friends when it's like not good at all yet. But I know it's going to be. So yeah, most of my songs were not finished until like towards the very end. But I knew you could see past that. You knew they yeah, were going to be okay. Yeah, Brandon did too. Yeah, and Brandon did too. I'm guessing it's just one of those grasses always greener scenario. You know, I talked to a lot of artists who draw and paint and it's sort of similar where I think people who are really methodical wish they were more spontaneous and, and vice versa. I think a lot of people wish that they didn't second guess themselves and, you know, and then on the flip side of things, there is something nice to really making sure that something is complete when you put it out in the world. Because people, once they have a first opinion, like you can't change, like someone's first opinion... Mm is always going to taint their view, I feel like. You know what I mean? And so you might yeah. as well give someone, like, at least something that's almost finished. Like, I mean, I send people, and I don't even mean one or two people. Yeah, I send, like, you know, I have a list of all these people that I'm like, look, I, I've got the beginning of a song. There's no chorus, and the, you know, it's out of tune, and Arinda's harmonies aren't there, and this, you know, like, it'll just be so bad, and I'll send it to about 10 people. <laughs> so What do you actually have at that point? that's the thing is mostly in my head I just get so excited I'm like I'm like a little kid and I and then I realize that like then people might never hear the finished product the way it should have been heard because they're hearing this unfinished you know what I mean I have have problems (laughs) obviously it's good to be excited when you're when you're making something uh we just made a video too and I just I did a quick edit of it before like a quick edit for just basically going through the footage and sent it to like my whole family, which is, you know, brother, sister, mom, dad, two friends, Arenda, my husband. And it was not even like, anyway, that's just what I do when I'm excited. I'm like, look, this is going to be probably a pretty good. <laughs> this was the TikTok video or this is a newer video? 
No, we've been working on videos. Arinda directed one and that's coming out this week and to a song. And then she and I both directed one for another song. Well, I kind of had sort of the idea, but your idea for the ending was not what I had in mind. And I love it. So now you are the directors are Marie and Arinda. (laughs) Are are you, you're a full on multimedia act now? We're directors now. We're direct. Yeah, we do it all because we don't have any money to do it otherwise. <laughs> we have to start a new Instagram. Was that an outgrowth of the pandemic? Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Just in terms of sort of knowing, I guess, that at least immediately there would be no touring in your future. Yeah, and I feel like just people want content, you know, these days. Because, yeah, it's basically all, all we have to offer, you know, besides the music. But, no, but yeah, but even if we were touring, I just think that's still people love yeah, visuals to go along with it now. Like it's just, everyone wants to see, they like to see things and hear things. And so I feel like, you know, we're in our first record, we didn't have one video. Arinda, can you believe that? Those are the good old days. (laughs) Or the second record or the EP. Our first three records, we didn't have a single video. There's also no social media. But yeah, but like MTV, maybe they would have played it. 120 minutes we got real lucky we're this is just three videos so far but it's been fun and we just thought yeah at first we were just we assumed we weren't gonna be near anyone so we might as well do it ourselves but we're i'm having fun with it without social media and viral video and all these things what do you attribute the early successes of the band to you know it's so hard to say especially you know in hindsight and i feel like Sure, 20 years later. Yeah, and, and these types of things are are very, you know, zeitgeisty. You know, like someone can pop off and no one really knows why. Um, but I would say, you know, just some factors that come into mind are that we, you know, we really put ourselves out there. Um, you know, and, and that first record was actually, I think, our third record we had done together. We had had two previous than another band, you know, so technically it's like as artists together, that would be our third record. So we kind of knew what we were doing by that point, but we were still very young and we, we really worked hard. I mean, we, we toured, you know, we, we put the record out, we toured probably 300 days out of the year, you know, for, for two years. And I think that was probably, you know, at that time without social media, that's kind of how we became known. We, we were lucky enough to, you know, we got to open for Bright Eyes. We got to open for Crooked Fingers. They kind of really, you know, catapulted us. It got us some crowds to play in front of, you know, and then, um, and then Moby. Moby. And yeah, it just kind of took off from there through basically like that first record. I think the entire budget, including the recording, there was no press was $500, I think. So so it really was, when I say a surprise, I mean, it was a surprise. <laughs> like, it just, it just happened. I think people resonated with the record or the record resonated with people. And I think people hadn't really heard that quite that sound before. And I think that the style that we performed in, which was just very, very sparse, very quiet, that hadn't been really done uh, by two women in that way. And I don't know, just all these things kind of came together. But I, I think the, for the most part, it was, what do you think, Maria, that is that we, we toured so much. And, and yeah, the, but I do think it was, it was a different, it was a new sound. Yeah, you know, now it's it's kind of getting popular right now. But like, I really do think that it wasn't influenced by anything that we were listening to. It was influenced by our grief. And it was just, this is how it came out. And Eric Bachman. But I don't know. I think that it was just, it was kind of something new. Like we didn't have enough money 
to even mix it. Like we recorded it on an eight track and then we only had money for one night in a big studio. So we mixed the whole record in one night. So that's like 10, was it 10 or 11 songs? And I just remember all of us like with our hands on the, the knobs, you know, like the faders. Like no, we all had. There wasn't even an automated board. Yeah, so yeah we were like, yeah. everybody in the room had two, each hand on a knob. No, so like fade out. things out and in. <laughs> and, and we only, and we had to finish the whole thing in one night. So it was just like, we had to memorize our little fade ins and fade outs and we had to get 11 songs. So we, we did, pulled an all nighter and that was it. Do you think that ultimately that first record benefited from the fact that you had to do it in? such quick fashion well but we took a long time recording it it was um i mean probably four or five weeks mm. you know of in a closet with an eight track and eric Bach oh it was, it was just the production that really the mixing yeah mixing just okay. mixing it yeah just to mix it in a big studio so we could at least you know at the very end put it through some like expensive gear but but it, we took yeah eric took a lot of time on the production. You know, I think you were essentially saying, you know, that you weren't really chasing any sounds at the moment that you were really almost kind of head down on it doing your own thing. So the fact that that you weren't chasing any trends was ultimately a benefit for the record kind of catching people by surprise. Definitely. In fact, like lots of people, we had a band before it called Little Red Rocket. And I think it turned some people or, you know, people didn't know what to make of it because it was so different from anything that was popular and anything that we were playing before. So it kind of took a minute for like, at least our, our people who had been following our musical path for years. I mean, I know my family too. I mean, my dad was like, he didn't know what to make of it. He just was like, this is okay, but you know, you got to put out another little red rocket record. Cause it was little red rocket was happy, fun, pop punk stuff, you know? So it just took a minute for people to like, and that's uh, I mean, I can maybe in the back of our heads, we, we kind of thought we would, go back to to rock music and this would just be a one-off tribute to to Peter you know Maria's boyfriend that had passed away that this would just be a tribute record and and a beautiful you know expression of our our mourning for him and and that would be it you know but it, it somehow it became like yeah kind of like career defining moment and so we're like, okay, well, this this is who we are now, we, you know, like, which kind of circles back around to the, I think, the earlier part of our conversation of, I think you, you bringing up the parameters of the sound and, and why we have those parameters. It, it, it Now it kind of makes sense as I'm like talking through it. I wonder totally. if it also ultimately benefited from the fact that you had no expectations that anyone was going to listen to it. So because of that, you were able to maybe be earnest and honest and open in ways that you might not have been that you might not have afforded yourself otherwise. Definitely. Yeah. Cause we didn't even think, you know, we were going to even put these songs out. We played them at a, a memorial show and our friend who had a label kind of said, you know, you guys should put these out. And my friend Eric Bachman could produce it. And we were like, you know, we had to think about it and we we're like, okay, but yeah, we, we weren't thinking past. Okay. Yeah. Let's record these. Like they, we should do this, but we weren't thinking about anything beyond that. So I think that does play a part. And how it sounded and how it was just, yeah, I don't know. There were no intentions. I mean, it was just a pure act of catharsis for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it really was. I, I, again, it's kind of like thinking back, you know, and put, putting ourselves in that, that headspace, but I don't really, we, we didn't have a name for the band. We, we didn't have any 
ideas that we would ever tour. You know, we we certainly hadn't thought about it being a, a, a actual band or anything. Yeah. So it, it truly, I don't, I'm not even sure that they would have ever been recorded if, if Brian Causey hadn't have gone to that memorial show and said, Hey, I've got this, you know, small label. I run out of my house. Do you want to come record these on the A track? And know? he named it too. He was just like, how about you call yourselves Azure? We're like, okay. He found this photograph. He's like, why don't we make this the cover of the record? We're like, okay. Like, yeah, we were, I just like we were still in shock by what happened and we were just like we were young we were in shock and yeah so I, it's just funny when you think back I know we're just like okay sure why not we'll do this okay then Eric was like well why don't you go on tour with us and then that's when things started to shift a little bit once we started playing shows and we're like okay wait a minute like this feels amazing and and this means something to people and people would sit at our shows and be silent and cry. And then mm. we would be crying. You know, it was just kind of like this really emotional experience. We're like, whoa, like this is so different than anything musically we have ever, ever done. I get from an audience's standpoint why the act of, you know, listening to muscle music and crying, as you said, is a freeing one. But again, that must have been incredibly difficult to go through that every single night to actually, in some cases, literally be crying on stage. I think that's why we balance it with being so happy and fun. I mean, or like, what were you going to say, Rinda? Sorry. We partied so hard. We were partying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, people would be very shocked, you know, even at the clubs, like, because, like, we would, you know, get in, do our thing, have a really intense show. And then as soon as the crowd's gone, we're like taking shots at the bar with the bartenders and like partying all partying night, all night. <laughs> laughing hysterically. And it just, that, that balance really kept us sane, I feel like. So, you know, if we had just played those shows and then just gone straight to a hotel and brooded Go for a while. I don't think we would have made it through the first No, year. no. Yeah, we balance it by with extreme happiness and partying <laughs> and being just, yeah. My husband likes to say celebrating. We celebrate every day. <laughs> every time we see, I don't like, well, let's just get a nicer bottle of wine because we're celebrating. Yeah. Everyone's like, what are you guys celebrating again? We're like, I don't know. It's a beautiful day. We're together. Like, <laughs> there's always a reason to celebrate. You know, I find just generally that people tend not to give, don't always give their full attention to opening acts, especially at an indie rock show, especially for a brand new band. And when you're playing really quiet and often really somber music, is it difficult to break through to an audience to really get them to give you early on? Was it difficult to get the benefit of the doubt? No, that's why it was shocking. We thought it would be. You know, like even in my solo stuff I've had where like you just are, I want to yell at people just like, stop talking. But um I think we a we went on tour with the right bands from the beginning and their their crowds were just so respectful but no that was the interesting thing i mean people were f- quiet like as soon as we i don't know as soon as like they realized that the silence was as much of a part of the show as the music i think it took a minute and then once they got it and then they liked it i mean it was just always you could hear a pin drop at what point did you realize that the silence was a part of the show when we uh, couldn't hear our voices over any instruments, <laughs> by kind of necessity, we were very quiet because we, we we have, you know, very quiet voices. And 
and and with Azure, it's like, well, I don't, I've got a quiet voice. Maria doesn't necessarily, but I feel like with Azure, that's the sound, you know, like it's not like a real emotive, you know, full voice kind of band. So, so that's challenging, you know, sound wise, just on a practical level to, to get above the instruments on stage when you're playing, you know, in smaller clubs. Uh, And so, which was, you know, all we did the first like four or five years. So kind of by necessity, we had a very quiet show. But it was also moving. I feel like we, we, yeah, by necessity, but as soon as we did it and we'd have these long pauses where there was nothing Mm. before we would come in with a line or before a little instrument came in, it was, the silence was so, it spoke so much, you know, I don't know. I feel like ultimately ended up playing with that. What we had to do, we, we made it work for us. And then, yeah, and then eventually the crowd understood that that was part of the show. And and so they would even be, you know, shushing each other because that would, you know, if someone was loud, they were ruining the show for someone else. People would gang up on the, the loud person and basically like kick them out, like get out of here. So we didn't and even- I mean, it's not for everyone. Like, it's interesting because like I have some new friends now that I've made who went to see us. And one of my friends very honestly was just like, you know, I got like, shushed and people were like angry with me and she's because she's like I I go to a show to hear music but to also talk and to just like you know like she was really like I don't even know that she not that she didn't enjoy it but she was kind of it wasn't what she was expecting like people get angry (laughs) if if people talk during our set so we don't ever have to shush anyone because yeah our fans do it for us has that dynamic evolved at all over the years or I mean once that sort of clicked into place has that just been how the shows go for you um you know it probably depends i i think for the most part we're pretty lucky with with a quiet crowd but you know every once in a while if we're playing with somebody that was very loud right before we play or something you know that it, it's not like for sure you know that it's always going to be that way but for the most part it is because we never played like huge shows either like who knows like i mean ours are still pretty intimate like if we played a big show with five thousand people in it we probably wouldn't be able to hear ourselves and it would probably be a disaster like i just feel like the nature of our set smaller shows work better the subject matter for the first record came from a very not not just a very real place but you know it was spurred on by the major life-defining incident for the both of you that songwriting happened organically you continue to tap into some of these subjects you know i, I guess this record aside uh, again as we're dealing with like the grief that everybody's dealing with but when time does come to to make a record how do you get back to that place and how do you tap into that energy that's again like kind of why we don't usually rush rush things you know we wait till we feel like it's time to make a record and and that that also has to do with you know it, it doesn't mean that we need to have anything terrible going on in our lives it just means that we need to have the space to kind of creatively examine our deeper emotions, I feel like. And so when we, when we're in that space, um, it, like, I feel like this, for me, that I think the space comes first, then the music comes later. So I, if I'm not in the right zone, I don't, I don't know how easy it would be for me to tap into it. You know, it's kind of like a mm-hmm. situation. So I wouldn't say it's, I, I never try to force it. So I wouldn't, I don't know how to say if it's hard or not. I just wait till I have a feeling an overall feeling. And then I start writing music. Me too. But I, and I also think, but you know, I mean, the older we get, I mean, even during this pandemic, like a, a close friend of ours um, passed away 
And, and so I ended up changing all the lyrics to one of the songs to be, you know, a song for her. I don't know. I just feel like, you know, there's just so much sadness to tap into. And then there's so much beauty to, you know, that we can like find like just what, that's what Azrae does, just trying to find the beauty in the sadness. And I just think that, um, especially if we go 10 years in between records, like there's a lot there if you dig through. I mean, we're constantly going through shit as humans or someone that we love is going through shit. And, you know, it's, I just feel like some people go talk to a therapist. Some people become alcoholics. Some people take their own lives. And like, luckily we have this outlet to process things. In a certain way, the group as an outlet may become even more important for you and for your ability to process things as you get older. And obviously as we get older, people we know get sicker and and we lose people. If anything, the import of the band is only intensified for the both of you. Yeah. And not even losing other people because we get older, we do in, in, in lots of, lots of ways, but losing ourselves too. And re you know, finding ourselves and losing ourselves. I just feel like, yeah, everything gets harder and easier older we get but there's definitely a lot to draw from yeah you don't have that that particular like depressive angst that that you do you know in your early 20s but you have something else which is Mm. existential terror (laughs) you know which I think it's like once you like round that hump you're like there's some pretty good material there (laughs) yeah what does losing yourself mean in this case it's just, I guess I just mean like we'd start becoming a machine, you know, like the older we get, it's just like you can lose. I feel like lots of people in their 40s, like they forget like, wait, what did I used to love? Like what mm-hmm. made me happy? Like you can lose yourself. And it's sometimes hard to get it back. But I think that um, that's, a, I don't know. I feel like that's a common struggle and that we all have to like work for it because in the end, like Arinda said earlier, when we were talking about her song Remedy, and she says, you're a remedy or there's none, which is talking about yourself. Like, you have to find it in yourself. There's no, you know, you can look and search for people or things or a substance or something to make you happy. But ultimately, it's always got to be from yourself. And so I just think it, I don't know. It's like when you're in your 20s, you don't know who you are yet. And then you really find yourself. And then life just can wear you down and you start to lose yourself again. So I feel like in your, when you become middle-aged, it's all about like rediscovering who you are, who you love, what you love. So you can have like a great last chapter or last, I don't know, few chapters. Jesus Christ. Life. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the last chapter. Jesus. Well, I mean, it's a long chapter. I want to live to be 107. I just like, so I'm Where talking like, chapters? they're going to be long, baby. Long chapters. <laughs> This is something I struggle with myself as somebody who I'm a writer for a living and do it because it's something that I love to do. And I feel lucky that it's something I've been able to do professionally, but it's a double-edged sword, right? When it comes to this thing that has always been important to you, that has always, you know, given you meaning and given you life. By necessity, it has to change to some degree when it becomes a career, when it becomes a job. Yes. I mean, like we, yeah have to do other things to make you know we can't even rely on just music you know it's um 
Yeah, I don't even think of it as a job anymore. We've come full circle around from that. <laughs> yeah. It's like, if we, when we make money, we're just like, holy shit, we made some money. That's just icing on top of the cake at this point. Yeah, but. it's pure love that we do it. Yeah. Obviously, it would be nice and everybody would love to just make a living doing that one thing they're super passionate about. But maybe maybe there's something to be said for the fact that you really basically only do it because of only for the love of it. I mean, that it isn't something that isn't netting you millions of dollars. No, not, not at all. I mean, there was, there was a point, like, I would say maybe like around hold on love where, I mean, we certainly weren't doing it for the money, but we, we, you know, it was like, oh, it's time to make the next record. You know, we were on a cycle of, we make a record, we tour for a year, we make a record, then we tour for a year, make, you know, so it wasn't, necessarily like we were doing it for the money but anyways but it was kind of more scheduled it was like part of our career but then when we took after we took the the hiatus the first hiatus because we've had two two really long ones spanning what almost 17 years of, of the band's history I think has been in hiatus you know that that completely changed that and it's only been for the love of it since then you know because we're not in any kind of tour cycle. We're not in any kind of, you know, situation where this is our primary source of income and we have to do it to pay the rent. And I like that. I, I think that that's probably, you know, a healthy place for us to be in. Not to say that the other records weren't inspired. They were just very, you know, like on a, on a schedule. And then once we took that first hiatus, everything that we've done since then has, has really been, yeah, like just out of love. And, you know, how we were saying before, the, the timing felt right um, for us to come back together and, and make another record. Was that another factor in at least the first hiatus, you know, along with sort of some of the, the, the broader emotional concerns of having to do this night in night out? Was it that it was just starting to feel like too much of a predetermined schedule? Yeah, I mean, I think we were a little burned out. We'd been doing it for a long time at that point and had never really taken a break. Really. I know. We also, yeah, I feel like our friendship, it was, this band mm. is, based on our friendship and I just think all of the touring and just it just got like it was starting to put a strain on our friendship and it was not worth nothing is worth damaging our friendship so I just think we kind of were like I think we need to take a break and just and so I think it really preserved our friendship like you know I mean, don't you think? I mean, we will always be friends, but it was just like we just we knew we needed to take a breather and we put our relationship before our career like I think we might have been a lot more successful (laughs) had we continued we were at our height I mean we were just like selling out shows and it was kind of like we're like whoa like we're actually like I think this something is happening you could feel it and then we were like Mm. nope better take a break because we're starting to like we we just need space and then we took a like seven year hiatus. Is there an element of, I don't know, maybe self-sabotage or at least like a concern? I mean, you know, I've seen that before of people almost being worried about getting too popular. No, I think it's the opposite of self-sabotage because I just think we didn't want to ruin our friendship. I think we needed a break. Yeah. And I, and I think like we, I don't know, you know, we're just not to say this in any kind of self-deprecating way, but, you know, we were just young Southern girls when we started who had no, you know, real, like how we're saying, like we, we weren't trying to be famous. We would, you know, we didn't really have any uh, notion of what it meant to be. I feel like a career musician or a, or a career entertainer. I, I mean, maybe Maria a little bit more than me, but like we really just did it for the love of it. We were compelled to do it. 
And so, yeah, when we felt burned out and weren't getting along, it just, it was like absolutely a no brainer. Like some bands would have just stayed together for, you know. And we, we didn't have a manager either. I feel like if we had mm. had a manager, they would have said, uh, no, are you crazy? I just remember like we were definitely at our peak back then, but it was just, yeah. And, and some, if we had had a manager, they probably would have said like, just go to therapy or something. And it yeah. wasn't like we were like awful and fighting, but it was just, I mean, we love each other and if if something, it just didn't seem, it just felt like we needed a break. We had just spent, like she said, 300 days a, a year. I mean, we had one cell phone. We had, we lived together. We toured together. Our phone was like, hi, this is Marina Renda. Leave a message. We had one computer. I mean, it was like, we just needed a breather. We weren't not thinking about career moves or what was good and what was bad. At the time, there wasn't a way to, to continue to tour and to continue to be a band, but be maybe a little bit more healthy about it. It never occurred to us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, honestly, people didn't talk about stuff like that back then. No one was talking about therapy or any kind of ways to manage burnout or, you know, any of the kind of things that, that we might have been struggling with at that time. So it just, we're like, okay, let's just take a break. I mean, if I, now that we're talking this through, I feel like my 45 year old self now would have told myself then like you guys should go yeah go to therapy and you should keep doing this like you're doing this is something special this is something great you should just like work through it but yeah that never crossed our mind we were just like okay well we don't want this to ruin our friendship let's just do other things for a while and then we start doing that and you know that takes a lot of time like if we put solo records out that's a year to make it and record it and then that's a year of touring so right there that's two years and then it was just like these projects it took you know, years to come back, but we always come back because we love each other. We're friends. And that's what brings us back first. And then we're like, okay, well we have to make a record. We're hanging out all the time. Yeah. I don't, I don't regret any of that. I mean, I think like whatever, whatever happens needed to happen that way, you know, and that's just how I feel about life in general. You know, that that's just what needed to happen. But we could have maybe gone to therapy and then put out another record and been really big. Made a lot of money. This would have been right around the time of that Metallica documentary. Yeah, we, <laughs> we should have toured with Metallica. That would have been very uh, early 2000s. I'm sure some of this is just kind of a result of you, you being forced to be able to do this at, at a distance. But it sounds like 20 years later that you, you figured out a, a healthy way to do all of this. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, we, we've definitely learned so much you know, over the years. And we would never have a situation like, like that again, where we didn't know how to like talk through something or yeah. Like, you know, basically we're kind of like, okay. I know why you were mad at me. I know why you're mad at me. Let's just not do that anymore. That's <laughs> kind of like the conversation. And we just like, we know each other's strengths. We know each other's mm-hmm. weaknesses and we know why we balance each other so well, you know, it's just like, but that sometimes takes, you know, a 40 something year old's perspective to see that. It takes maturity. Now that you, the two of you are living in the same state and a mere two and a half hours away from one another, do you anticipate another 10 year gap between records? God, I don't know. I haven't even thought past next sure. week. What do you think, Aranda? Are we going to take another 10 years? Well, I don't think it should. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I think like we, we usually just play it by ear. You know, I think like whatever is happening in our lives. If, you know, if Azure needs to take precedence, then, then we give it precedence, you know, and we really give everything to it. 
if something else, you know, we want to take another break and work on some other stuff and come back, then, you know, I think we just go with the flow. So it's hard to, hard to say. I I seriously doubt I'll take another 10 years. Yeah, I agree. Are you enjoying the process of collaborating more than before? No, I love, I've always loved it. Like I've always loved it. I love it just the same. Yeah, me too. I, I have, I'm really happy with this record though. So I guess I would kind of say in some sense, like this is my favorite record since either the first record or hold on love so so in that sense i'm i'm enjoying it more because i'm i'm really happy with the work that we did this year 